Hey, Susan. Hi, Saji. Hey, we got a guest today. Hi, hey. Hi, Karim. Karim's hey, thanks, back. Thanks very much for inviting me, guys. All right, so what's our disclaimer before we begin our... Oh my gosh, I haven't done this in a long time, it feels yeah. like, but the but views and opinions of Susan Witten, Saji Pillay, and Karim Jamal um, are our own views and opinions and in no way reflect the views and opinions of the TCU and UNT Health Science Center School of Medicine. Agree. Yay. All right. All right, so next week for most people, or this week, whenever you're listening, um, will be uh, session 13, and the focus is on um, essentially patient safety, but really at the root of patient safety, just uh, uh, focus on medication reconciliation, and then cognitive bias and error. Ooh, who makes errors? Ah. Oh. No, not us. (laughs) (laughs) I wish that was the case. I know. But I worry that's that it's bias. not true. <laughs> <laughs> that perhaps we could be overconfident. Ah. Huh. A doctor uh, overconfident. Never. No, I mean, lots of errors are made all the time in medicine, for sure. Um, but um, I'm more sanguine of how um, far medicine has gone, gotten and how accurate we can be. How so? Tell us more. Uh, so... Um, yeah, I think that um, you know our our um, abilities to make diagno- diagnoses has um, has dramatically improved. Uh-huh. Uh, we have uh, we're we're better with our history gathering. We're better with our physical exam. We're better with our uh, our tests. Our tests have gotten so much better. Uh, our investigations have improved. When someone comes in and they have belly pain, mm-hmm. and I examine CT them. only. No. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't start with that. Oh, sorry, that's not fair. I'm sorry. That's our own bias. No, but you bring up an important point. Yeah. I think that there is some of that. And yeah. I think that it's it's it, it's a good thing. Like yeah. if somebody is elderly and they've got belly pain, yeah. if you don't CAT scan them, not belly pain, but abdominal tenderness, yeah. and you don't CAT scan them, that's a problem. But what you, about you need to be, Karim, though, like... I, I, I'd have to challenge, like, are we better with our physical exam because we seem to be relying so much on testing? Like, if the algorithm, if, if the patient falls into this pathway, which is sometimes a cognitive forcing tool, right? There's some there's pathways for all these different yeah. things. But I just, I have this patient I've been trying to trace down to get into primary care, right. who, no joke, in the last year has had 15 CAT scans oh. of her abdomen oh, for sure. because she presents always and she falls into somebody's pathway of she's elderly with abdominal pain. She's had a, she's got a um, ostomy bag and she complains about this bag. And yeah. I, you know, and I just think there has to be a way for us to break out of that pathway and to think of when that person doesn't fit sure. those yeah. shortcuts. But you so, gotta remember also the setting in which the patient comes, right? Uh, if the patient shows up in clinic, we're thinking, okay, this is, could be a chronic thing. We have a continuity in medical records. No. We have an ability to kind of look at everything. When they show up in the ER, they're coming there because they are also concerned, right? Yeah. We, we assume they're also very concerned about their medical problem, and it could be something more than, why didn't you just go to your clinic? 
Yeah. Why didn't you go to your PCP? Why didn't you go to someone else? Yeah. So it's it's a different heightened acuity. awareness, acuity. the acuity uh, to yeah. the patient. Yeah. Sure. It may right. not be for right. the actual disease process, but to the patient, this is really a problem. Yeah. If you don't find out what's wrong with me, and I don't leave here with a diagnosis. Yeah. Right. We. That's I think that's where we so, end so much up in pressure that. to like diagnose diagnose yeah. quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So, but hold yeah. that thought yeah. because we're getting to the good stuff. So, um, everyone, first we'll just review the skills um, that you'll see in skills of Al, and then if you want to stick around, we're going to talk more about this um, um, fun topic of cognitive bias and error. So, um, and um, just to put on your radar, students when they show up this week. Um, you can ask them in Skills Eval. Now we've turned on the functionality. They can self-assess in Skills Eval. So not only can you look at these session objectives, the student has been able to all along. We know they probably aren't looking at it, but now they can they can self-assess like I'm good with a particular skill or I need help. So um, hopefully that'll um, engage a little or help them to engage more and maybe help them be a little more proactive with uh, huddle and debrief. So does the preceptor have to ask that or is this something they can see? Um, well, I think, I mean, you should just know that the student is also getting a push notification via text um, and they should see the same things that the preceptor sees. And before, the student wouldn't push any buttons around those skills, and now they can. Cool. And then hopefully we can then um, send or show the preceptor when the student feels that they're not good, that they need help in certain skills. So that's the hope. Nice. Nice. Okay. So um, first session objective, um, number one, Karim. Yes. So uh, elicit and document a medication history from at least two patients paying careful attention to redundancies and inaccuracies. Yes, so that's just MedRec. Yeah. Number two. Identify any system in place to improve medication and patient safety, EMR alerts, nursing protocols, checklists for your patient panel. Yep. Yeah. So this session, you know, as you'll note, exactly, you'll notice there's, there's, hopefully you can carve out just a little bit of time to discuss some of this stuff. This may happen like um, live or it may happen with a debrief, but yep. And then number three. Karim again. Sure. So query and hear at least one patient's story of when things in their care, when things in their care or the care of a loved one did not go as planned and how this impacted them. Yeah. And that, that you know, that's that may be difficult. I, pr- I probably suggest if, you know, you guys have a plan for this, like um, maybe you guys are going in together and um, kind of determining when it would be a good time to maybe ask a, a patient like that. This might also be a great question for their panel patient. So it may not happen during this session, but it might be nice in continuing that therapeutic relationship with the panel patient that they ask um, them about this time. But, um, but definitely I think it's important to get a patient's perspective when things don't go like you want them to go. And then number four, and this kind of leads into our talk, Saji, what is number four? Discuss with your preceptor how cognitive bias or heuristics uh, can uh, lead to medical error, availability, confirmation, search satisfying, diagnostic momentum, framing effect biases, and how to mitigate the effects of bias on medical decision making. Yes. So, so, okay, so those are the objectives for this session. Um, so if you, have, if you have to dash, dash, but hopefully you'll stick around. So Karim, Saji, and I are now going to talk a bit about um, 
cognitive bias in clinical medicine and clinical decision making. And what, what we're really doing is we're kind of pod, we're doing a little podcast journal club. There is an article that will um, come in the email um, that goes with this podcast and it's pre-work for your students. So I would expect your student to read this thing and hopefully you can check it out too. Um, but it's um, a fairly recent review article, um, a couple authors, I think they're probably nephrologists um, in Edinburgh, Scotland, but they, they do a very nice, it's a 2018 review of this topic. So without further ado, Karim. Yeah, so uh, thanks for pulling this article um, up and um, giving it to us. It is a review and it's relatively recent and um, I think it does um, I think it does a good job uh, with uh, you know in a very short article um, and, and uh, relatively easy to understand although I think that students are going to really have a challenge with this because they're not going to have the background yeah. um, to go through some of this yeah. that it's going to be hard on them yeah. but for us that have seen this stuff and talk about biases yeah. I could see where it triggers where, a lot of it stuff. does trigger yeah. a lot of stuff so, <laughs> like a, oh, yeah, yeah you're like yeah. oh I see so yeah. um they use the term cognitive biases more generally than I like to use the word cognitive biases. When I think of medical errors, yes. medical yeah. errors to me is either um, diagnostic is is either diagnostic errors errors or process errors. Yeah, diagnostic errors is uh, is related to most often cognitive biases. I think in this article it says 78%. Yeah. Uh, but then there's also knowledge deficit that leads to diagnostic error. Sure. I mean, it just, uh, you just I didn't know. understand, you yes. didn't know that, yes. you know, um, yeah. something. And then there's clinical decision-making errors that can lead to diagnostic errors. And this, this article kind of like lumps them all lumps together them. and say sure. every diagnostic error is mostly uh, mm -hmm. cognitive error. Yeah. But but I I I've, I would separate the clinical decision making errors, and they mention a couple of them versus fund of knowledge versus versus fund of knowledge yeah. versus true blind spots, which are cognitive biases. Don't you think though that if the fund of knowledge on a particular topic maybe it's not that deep, that you're going to fall prey to some of these cognitive errors? For instance, like diagnostic momentum. Say like you know you are it's you know it's a handoff situation, and some workup has been started, or even some consultant yeah. has started some again pathway right, right? right and then if if you don't have sort of that depth of fund of knowledge right. it can be very difficult then to stray from the that that um that plan that right. was set forth Agreed. either by the admitting physician or the prior physician or the consultant you know mm -hmm. so that i think they they do sort of, it, that's why it's so hard, I think, to really identify. Yeah, I would try to tease it out. Yeah. Because I think that you can you can help the fund of knowledge by just knowing the material. Sure, sure. And I think that there are people that could have the fund of knowledge, but still would have the diagnostic bias, a diagnostic momentum anyway. bias anyway. Anyway. And so even yeah. though you may know that somebody with shortness of breath and pleuritic chest pain could yeah. be, you know, pulmonary embolism, yeah. and if they decided that it was going to be bronchitis or homoptosis related to, you know, irritation, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you still go down that pathway, even though your fund of knowledge is still there. I think that fund yeah. of knowledge is something different. Yeah. Um, but yeah. anyway, that's just a little quibble sure. I have with their definitions of what they use. Sure. Even their, in fact, even the term of heuristics to me, is, they, they, they make it very narrow in their, yeah. in their description. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like you know what you know, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and if you believe 
you don't have a deficit, right? You don't know that you have a deficit yeah. when you're trying to diagnose something. And there is that diagnostic momentum that happens in the hospital all the time. Someone admitted, here's, or even from ER to inpatient, right? Mm -hmm. It happens oh, where sure. we're like, okay, that's what they're thinking. Yeah. Let's go with it. Yeah. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. And there's no look back. You know, right. like when there's a new person who takes over, you're like, okay, wait, this has already been done. Do we take the second to say, let's start all over. Let's just make sure this is exactly yeah. what's going on. Do we take that second to just doubt what we're doing? Yeah. There's so much that impacts that, right? Yeah. Like say if your service is large or you're seeing, or, you know, you've got three that are waiting for you or whatever, yeah. then I think the likelihood to rely on those shortcuts, those that fast decision making that type one thinking mm -hmm. it's gonna you're gonna be more likely to kind of fall back on yeah those biases where it's it's it is harder mentally to, yeah. to switch into that type two let's slow down let's ask what else do we think this could be i think that's th those questions slowing down because then you can look something up yeah. if you know to kind of like like create this space where then you can ask where it's okay a, to admit, I, I don't really know, or I'm not so great on what's the latest and greatest for this particular thing. Right. And then, and then also um, to say, what else could it be? I think we're less likely to do that when we're like, I just need to get through this because right. I've got to get to a meeting at right. the medical school right. and I can't do this now, extra stuff for this patient because yeah. I got to go. <laughs> you know, there's so much that impacts like cognitively in the moment that medical decision making it's it's um it's, it's overwhelming yeah. to think about you know <laughs> so it's, yeah i think it comes down to time even yes. like when there's yes. a resident i'll say don't look at the chart just yeah. go yeah see the patient what's your assessment what's your assessment yeah they're skewed by okay this is a patient they just say oh this is a pe patient Oh, this is a pneumonia patient. Yeah. I was like, how do you know? We haven't even talked to the patient. Oh, the chest x-ray shows it. Yes. The, the radiologist said or that. Or really, I read the chart. And I read the chart, yeah. right? <laughs> so, you, so they're already going with a diagnosis. Yeah. So they're going to make the story yeah. follow that, yeah. right? It's it's in the script. Yeah. Or how much? How many of us are very much guided by this availability bias, right? Where I the I got burned once, like, oh, gosh, you know. I, I missed uh, PE, and so now, like, I'm just going to order that CTPE protocol right. and all these people, regardless of what the PERC rule says or yeah. what, right. you know, clinically how they present right. because, darn it all, I'm not going to miss that ever again and right. feel that emotional shame and badness that I sure. did that stuff, right? So and, it, and what are we propagating, right? Because yeah. we're like, okay, well, yeah. you know, I had that one attending that said that I miss that and now I have this, yes. you know, lawsuit that's against me for, yes. for that. Yes. You know, it's, it's just the way that we perceive and put it out there. But then is it important for us to follow guidelines? Yes, it is. So I guess not to overwhelm the yeah. audience, because I think this discussion, there is so much there. and No answers. Yeah. So I think, I mean, in general, like, I don't know, I don't, I'm not sure if we can agree, but I, I think in general, we commonly make errors. Hmm. And, 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 and Karim and I have a difference in opinion, but I, because, okay, so when I, you know, when I was thinking of safety and error discussion, right, right. I used to think of. Most of the time, it's pro process. You say process, and I think system, right? right I think right. I was sort of, and I I made like patient safety curricula for residents, and I know all about Swiss cheese model and human factors. I understand that, and I think I was sort of lulled into most of the time error that reaches the patient ultimately is more process error 
less diagnostic error. But I, but I think there's a, there's a kind of a, they feed into each, they feed into one another. I don't think it's so cleanly. It's either root cause analysis um, discussion or it's peer review, um, peer review discussion, right? Like, right. you know, when something, when the caca hits the fan, right. oftentimes people are looking in both ways, right? Yeah, yeah, What's yeah, the yeah. system problem? And then what, what did the clinician do? And, you know, what really, what was the cognitive error right. that resulted in this person having some bad thing happen to them. Right. And I and I, I think I was surprised by this article and kind of thinking how, how it's probably more common than we think. We can't really test for it. Yeah. It's all hindsight. There's actually I can't remember there was an um there was a study that was put out by um, an institute of medicine talking about how yes. much, how many, how many, how prevalent it is, yes. and how much, how much it costs society. And, yeah, it's you a know. top ten cause of death. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you were to T- exactly at a high estimate, you know, to air is human or whatever that IOM right. report, if you were to really capture the true incidence of death yeah. from medical, medical, is it error or is it just medical mishaps? I don't know. Sure. It's hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I. I, I think that, you know, it sounds overwhelming to the audience. I think it's overwhelming to think about as a clinician, but I think it's also important to have awareness sure. for all of us to yeah, have sure. awareness about this. And then I think the real challenge is how do you break down clinical decision-making yeah. for learners when we ourselves, they describe in this article, I loved it. They talked about it is a invisible and mysterious process mm. of clinical decision making. Mm. And here we are three, we're thinking mm. a lot about helping learners with clinical decision makers at making as our preceptors are really hopefully thinking about mm. how to break down that invisible and mysterious process. It doesn't have to be invisible. And mysterious. <laughs> let me let me give you my okay, my, okay. my my three things I do. Okay. Okay. So okay. this is not biases. This yeah. is um, decision making and how we go from um, you know a presumptive diagnosis uh, to a diagnosis. Yeah. I think of it three. Th- I think of three big things. The first thing I think of does this make. Um, mechanistic sense when you take it back to first principles so by you knowing a condition does this make sense uh, from a hypothetical deductive logic reasoning yeah okay does this make does this make logical sense the second thing is you have to consider I have to interrupt based on what you know right based on what you know because again, the history taking is imperfect. Oh right? yeah, 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 yeah. Well, those are all biases. Yeah, 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 yeah. So now, okay, I'm just, okay, all okay, I'm saying okay, is okay. just yes, on the clinical yes, decision yes, making. Yes, yes, yes. The second big thing is that you have to take into consideration what the pretest probability of what you're going to you walk bet. into is. Okay. So one is it needs to make di- it needs to make hypothetical deductive reasoning sense. It needs to from first principles, uh, be able to, you know, you, you, you kind of know, you know, uh, from learning pathology and pathophysiology. The second is what's the pretest probability. The third thing in clinical decision-making, and, and, and this goes to your final conclusion right here. Yes, yes. And the very last line right here. Yes. The very last line, which they pulled out of, I'm not sure where, out of their, uh, their entire article, but it speaks to this, is it says, remember you're often wrong, consider the immediate implications of this and what I'm what I'm getting at is that the third part of clinical decision making is no um, the non misdiagnoses yes and then I yes. think I think if you take care of those three things yes 
I think you can get to a differential and start doing some testing. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I think so. And it doesn't have to be mysterious. And it doesn't have to be uh, this kind of uh, amorphous thing. Yes. It's those three things. Yes. Do you agree? Yes. Agree. I think it, it though, it, it, that sounds like great. But? But this is for first year students. That's true. I I think that's it looks. I think that I think. I this think is for good... first year students, yes. they probably have no biases because they don't know <laughs> as much. Maybe a little overconfidence, blind spot. Yeah. I think probably. Okay. Okay. Because now I'm reviewing some yeah. notes. They're turning in notes, and this is the first um, uh, submission where I'm asking for their assessment and really differential. You know, and I and I as I write, but you know the the differentials are thin. Yeah. But you know that. Um, okay, preceptors, don't be mad at me, okay? But if the, the differentials are thin, this is a call to action on the part of preceptors to really start getting, like, get, getting, getting busy with some differential action, yeah, okay? Get so outside like, the box. Get out, yeah, and start challenging your student. So I think it can be impossible to generate a bi-systems differential for every outpatient encounter that is, you know, totally complete. But you can certainly task the student to think about, you know, the patient, what else do they think it could be, you know, and then maybe discuss it later. And I think it makes everybody at the table better, right? But but I think in real life, um, oftentimes clinicians, busy clinicians are really relying on that looks like a duck, walks like a duck, it's a duck, yeah. and not really going too deep on what else it could be. Yeah. And, I, and, and so here in our ivory tower, where we get to really consider how best to communicate this or think about this, that's all well and good for us. But when the rubber hits the road, I just worry that not many people are really getting a, lot, a whole lot of reflective yeah. about this decision-making for a lot of reasons, right? There's this, like, I don't want to admit I'm wrong because of liability. Right. I once had, I mean, I was just shooting the breeze with a, a faculty colleague in, in Boston several years ago about one of those I got burned once, and her eyes got really big because she's like, you know, um, if you talk about this, it could be discoverable. And I'm like, what the hell are you saying? <laughs> Excuse me, I, I curse, but what are you saying to me? <laughs> I'm not it's no specific. But there is such fear, right, around kind of some of these cases. We all have our little bucket of things where we wished things went differently. We're humans. We want to reflect on them. And yet culturally, I just don't think there's a lot of good opportunities for us to, to honestly unpack them. Right, M and M. M and M. That's M&M. what I was thinking. I was like, "What's M and M like for a lot of people?" Oh, no good. No please, fun. Please don't call me. I don't want to talk. Please, I know. You know, I don't yeah. want to present. Me. God no. forbid, I don't want to present. Friend of my peers. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. For sure. Yeah. So it's. I think it's this huge challenge of where medical educators lose opportunity to start to inject some of this discussion. Uh, Karim and I were talking. The mic drop of this article is that based on the sparse data that we have that some of these interventions to like develop i don't know what the the um the endpoints were per se and it's hard to i think measure but you know they haven't been that quote-unquote effective right? so then what do we do because the elephant in this room is we're wrong we're wrong a lot there's a lot of biases we may not be able to name them but what what can what can we do mm-hmm. to prevent or to to mitigate 
the risk of bias. So this article kind of uh, talks about how you fall into these biases. It's the type 1, type 2. But if you look at it, it's sleep deprivation, it's stress, fatigue. You go into these biases because you're just not completely there to be able to make that decision yeah. in a very succinct way. Yeah. Right? So wellness. Wellness. It's important. It's very important. So how do you, what do you think about AI? Ooh. This, wow. So AI has no cognitive biases, right? Um, they're well, going to put all the information in and churn out a lot of diagnoses. But it's only as good as the data in. Yeah. Only as good as the data, and and I think even then, you know, it's like what we know versus what we think we know right. versus what is really going on versus our gut versus our gut. I think it's it's just it's just not so clear cut. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, anyway, yeah, yeah. I think those are those cognitive forcing kind of technologies mm. or options. They're nice checklists. Right. It's not AI, but you know yeah. there are these kind of tools and strategies we right. can use. But I could, I mean, can we checklist everything? Like, I don't know. Can, can we? Can we? Should we? I don't know. We do. We, we learn do. that way. Yeah. Yeah. We learn that. A lot of yeah. checklists here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there's some good data, right? For yeah, checklists. Yeah. yeah. There's some data. Yeah. All right. All right. I don't know. Have we been talking a long time? Probably. Let's see. How much time? 25 minutes. Oof, okay, Oof. we got to we got to So, in general, should we is it a lost cause to talk about this? No, promote differentials. No. Promote no. differentials. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. They, they they need to be introduced to this. In fact, one of the suggestions um, right up front was that let's um, there's a metacognitive metacognition is a is a method of debiasing. Yeah. And so they need to understand these um, these things are out there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. At this stage, absolutely. Okay. And so just to sum it up, I like the end of this article. They give some practical tips. What can you as an educator at the point of care? So number one, try to slow down if you can, even seconds. We're talking like 20 seconds of slowing down just to be aware of the prevalence. Uh, Karim talked about this, base rates or prevalence, pretest probability, likelihood ratios in terms of testing. And then consider what data is truly relevant, right? Um, actively seek uh, alternative diagnoses. So ask, what else could this be? I think it's pretty protective. I use this all the time in precepting residents. What else do you think is going on? And then, you know, I think be prepared to abandon your initial hypothesis, right? It's okay to, to you know, help yourself uh, uh, be, admit that you're wrong and then move on to other things. So ask questions to disprove your hypothesis. And then finally, remember that you're often wrong. Yeah. It doesn't feel comfortable, but it's true. Right. Maybe not. Maybe not. I just, I, I think we've come a long way. And I, I yeah. really, um, you know, in 20 years of clinical medicine, I've yes. seen lots of uh, amazing. Yes, absolutely. And you have to agree that, That's, you know yes. what, that yes. um, although we do make um, lots of errors yeah. uh, from where we've been, it's better. It's way better. It's better. It's infinitely better. It's better. Yeah. All right. Good. Okay. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Until uh, next time. Till again. <laughs>